0: Hey now, everyone, how you doing? This is Rob here from Rob's School of Music. As always, every Wednesday, we get to talk to some of the coolest musicians you're ever going to meet. And today is no different. We are joined by Mr. Rod Castro. Hello, sir.
1: What's up? I was digging that, that, that weight countdown music.
0: You like that? That stream yard gives me that. I, I would love to, you know, make it something maybe cooler like images, but I've yet to figure out how to change it. <laughs> I've learned to love it. <laughs> All right, dude. So, so we are a music school and, um, you know, I, I got turned on to you from clubhouse and my God, your resume is that of legend. (laughs) We're going to pick apart your whole story. Um, one of the first questions I always like to ask is, I guess, before we go into the details of your experience, um, between the massive gigs that you've done and the session work, I'd imagine anxiety nerves, those are factors in all of that. And, um, for us, with our students, we put them in bands, we get them performing and stuff, and it's new for them pre COVID, obviously. But you know, mm-hmm. they, they're always they're in the beginning of their careers uh, as musicians, their journey. So they get they get scared and they get nervous. And I'm just always curious to ask people who are in such high pressure situations, how do you deal with that kind of stuff?
1: Oh man, that's definitely real. Um, I still deal with that on a daily basis on things that I do. Um, I will preface this that if you hear a baby yelling in the background, that's my three month old son in my room and my fiance trying to keep him quiet. <laughs> I'm home right oh, now, yeah. so I'm not in my studio. <laughs> but um man, um, I mean, that definitely happens a lot. And it really has to do with my comfort level of where I'm working and who I'm working with and stuff like that. Um I don't know if I have the best way to deal with it, honestly, or, 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 or advice on that. But um, I definitely am the kind of person that regardless of the amount of anxiety or stress that I'm feeling about something, I just do it. and I just go forward with it. I do my best. I think it's so important in moments like that to not show the anxiety or the stress. And it's not even a matter of not looking professional, but to me it's more sounding professional you know like your 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 performance and the way you play is so affected by your mental state you know like if if i go into a session and i'm super stressed out about something or if i just have something else that i'm dealing with that day it affects my playing like i leave that session feeling like i didn't do a good job and you know i think a lot of times people can hear how you're feeling through the way you play like it's very like it might sound dumb but it's so true like um, I think the biggest thing with that for me is like no matter what exude confidence in my playing. So whatever I'm playing, whatever I'm doing, make sure I feel, I sound and come off as confident because that I think is the most important thing once you've already sort of gotten your skill set to a point where you, you can be happy with it and other people are happy with it. Like I know so many people who play really, really well, who are incredible players. And they get into a certain situation or they get into a room with someone and they're either recording or playing live and they psych themselves out. Mm-hmm. And you can hear it in their performance that they're nervous, that they're not confident. And I think that's the biggest thing to work on once you're at a playing level that you're happy with. Work on yourself, work on your mind, work on all of that because that's equally important to your skill set. You know, your skill set means nothing if you can't be your hundred percent self playing wise anywhere out like nowhere outside of your room with yourself you know so um i definitely have had sessions recently where i walked in and i felt out of my element the music felt out of my comfort zone and um i think i've been doing this long enough now where i kind of can not go on autopilot but my hands know what to do even if my mind's somewhere else But like I've had sessions where I've come out and I'm like, man, I totally sounded like crap. I'm not looking forward to seeing that when it comes out on TV or this. And I listened to it and I'm like, oh, that sounded fine. It sounds great. But in my head, I wasn't in like a comfortable, confident place. So I walked away not feeling fulfilled and satisfied from it, but it ended up sounding fine. So because I think regardless of how I felt, I was putting out, I was putting the confidence into my playing, even though it wasn't in my head, if that makes sense.
0: It makes complete sense. I mean, one of the things that we try and teach all the students here is, you know, music can be a lot of things for a lot of people and it can certainly help you through a lot of situations for me personally. And this is something I project onto my students is it gave me a lot of confidence because in real life, I can be shy and I can be a little socially awkward. But if you were to meet me at a gig, uh, or see me perform, or even as a teacher, I'm outgoing and I'm, I'm loud mouth and, and it's, it started as this sort of suit of armor of, Projecting this confidence and eventually mm-hmm. by playing and personality sort of caught up to it But I completely understand with we get in our own head and we can sort of psych ourselves out And um, just being confident in what you're doing is definitely probably yeah, and I,
1: think, dude, I think that's something that everyone deals with and if they tell you otherwise, I think they're probably lying, you yeah. know, but it's so important Like I think that there's a fine line, especially in music between confidence and cockiness Yeah, so it's so important to never come off as cocky like yes. in my opinion.
0: I completely agree. And I want to pick apart that later on when we get into the whole session scene. But let's start at the beginning. So was there something, you know, as as a kid or whenever you started getting into music where you maybe heard a record or you went to a show and you're like, that's what I want to do.
1: There's definitely three things that made me want to play guitar. Um, I started playing when I was 12. Um, you know, one of them will totally make you laugh, but it's true. Um, that movie, Desperado, that intro where like Antonio Banderas is like picking. I remember at one point when I got good enough, I went and learned that whole thing because I was like, oh, I just made my 12 year old self so proud. (laughs) Um, so I've always been really attracted to Latin, Spanish, classical style guitar playing. Um, I'm nowhere near that level of playing where the professionals are, but I can fake it well. Um, but that was one of the things that inspired me. Um, the band, No Doubt, that record, Tragic Kingdom, Tom Dumont is one of my, I, I really consider him like my main guitar hero, you know, and I tell him that all the time. I got the chance to meet him a, a few years back and was just one of those, like, out of everyone I've met, I am the most nervous to be around you right now. Wow. <laughs> like, and he's one of them. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm an 80s kid, so I grew up on 90s rock um me as well the first like guitar solo i ever heard that i was just like i want to do that was um actually a natalie merchant song called uh, carnival i don't know if you're familiar with the song but there's a there's a very bluesy soulful solo in that song that that was the first time i think i had heard a guitar part that like just put me in my feelings you know that i felt something and i was just like i don't know what it is about that but i'm so connected to it and I want to do that and so I think I like bugged my I was raised by a single mom and I bugged my mom so much for a guitar and she's like oh you always want to do something and then I spend money on it and then you do it for a couple months and then you just throw it away and um, I think she talked my dad into buying me a guitar and he got me like you know this crappy $40 guitar from like i remember back in the days like you would just buy things on catalogs like sure. there's no going into a store like he just said <laughs> so he bought me this crappy guitar from a catalog and i played that thing into the ground like i never stopped playing it, it started fall, falling apart on me so they got me like a maybe a crappy 60 guitar next and i just they saw that i took it seriously and i think by that like around 12 13 was just like this is what i want to do and that's what i did
0: that's incredible i i always you know I think it's so fascinating to see where people come from and what was the trigger, you know, because as a teacher I get to watch every week of my life someone here Metallica the first time, here, you know, Steely Dan the first time, whatever it is their thing, like just watch their life change from it. Ironically enough, for me, my first show ever was no doubt on that tragic kingdom tour. Oh, nice. Um I'm born in 1983, so this was Oh, same year, man. It was ah, same age. Exactly. There you go. So <laughs> So I imagine we have a very similar experience with the music that, yeah. you know, all the 90s stuff. But that was the first I'd ever seen a show. They played at our local community college um, and people were moshing to don't speak. They actually stopped doing shows afterwards <laughs> at that venue. Um, but I was like, this is this is the thing, man. This is what I want to do. So I, I get it completely.
1: Yeah. And funny enough, so I, I ended up like a while back, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, or a little less, I became really good friends with Stephen Bradley, the trumpet player for No Doubt. And I uh, was working on music with him, and they invited me to a No Doubt rehearsal about maybe four years ago. And it was like, first of all, they rehearsed at the forum. Like, who rehearses at the forum? You know, so <laughs> they were they were getting ready to do some dates, and they wanted to kind of get their feet wet because they hadn't played in a long time. And this was after the last record. So this was well into, like, you know, to me past their, like, peak of, like, the ska punk world and um I was in like the VIP area with Steve and I saw Tom walk in and I was like yo Steve I hate to be that guy but can you please just introduce me to him and like I'd been friends with Steve for a while before I told him how much of an impact that music had on me. And I think we were out drinking one night after a gig and I was like yo man I really just gotta let you know man you changed my life and kind of like laughed about it. And so he introduced me to Tom and I was like please don't say anything stupid because he always likes to mess with me. And so he introduces me to Tom. He's like, Tom, that's my buddy Rod. He's a great guitar player. We work a lot. Uh, I just wanted you to meet him. He's your biggest fan. And he just walked away. And I was like, God, I hate you for doing that. And so we chatted for a bit. And he like, you know, he asked me what I did. And I told him. And at this point, my career wasn't where it is now. Like, I was doing a couple of cool things, but nothing crazy. And he was just like, yo, man, I really want to get into session work. I don't do that. I just do this. He's like, can I get your number? I'd love to pick your brain sometime. And my head was just like. Whoa. Like the dude who inspired me to play guitar is wanting to like pick my brain about what I do, you know? So, and he's just the nicest, sweetest guy. And now I don't even think he plays guitar anymore because no doubt's like done. He just like takes photos and he's a family dude. So wow. But I, I, you know, chat with him every now and then and he's the nicest dude. And that's, you know, to me, one of the biggest full circle moments of being a guitarist
0: for sure. Dude, that's a full circle moment. Few people get. So that's actually incredible. Yeah. What, how, um, Trying to think the order in which I want to do this because there's so much cool stuff that's happened at this chapter of your life, and I'm just trying to build up to it. Yeah,
1: sorry, my 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 train of thought gets derailed, so it'll you, go you, it'll go in different I, ways. I'm
0: completely happy if you tell a story for the next <laughs> 50 minutes. I'm all good. This is your show. <laughs> um, so this this is a question built into a triggering, hopefully for stories. Um, we as a music school with our guitar students, we run into a brick walls often when it comes to trying to show them a bit of theory or, or or reading, you know, standard notation or things like that. Um, Because as guitarists, we can use tabs and chord charts and things like that to cut those corners. Um, Me personally, I didn't learn to to read actual music till college. When I was like, Oh, you have a music degree. You have to read music. Shit. Okay. I guess I'm gonna have to learn how to do that. Um, In your journey, getting to where you are now, what was your music education experience like? And there is no wrong answer to that.
1: Um, to be honest, I have none still to this day. Wow. I don't have any. Um, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I I don't know how to read music. Um, I remember like, you know, getting into some of these more, I guess, complex musical songs and sessions and stuff where they would be like, okay, hit this chord. And I just didn't know what that chord was. So I had to like buy an app on my phone that was like, okay, he wants to hear like a C minor Six. What is that? And I'll look it up and I'll just look up, okay, put your finger here, here, here. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'll just do it enough to like know it. So at this point, I would say as far as my chords, I know up to the nines. Once I get to 11 and 13, I don't really know what those are. So a lot of times if I hear a chord, I can pick out the most important notes and play that and they're like, cool, yeah, that works. Um... But I mean, I still to this day don't. There's definitely times where it, you know, can bite me in the ass on certain gigs. I've had certain gigs where they like, give me sheet music and I'm just like, I don't read and they're like, well, you have to learn it. And I'll have to just memorize really complex things. Right. Um, As far as like, I do chord charts. I have an iPad and that's literally has all my work in it, but they mm-hmm. literally just look like, you know, a bunch of bars with chords and notes on top of it that says like, oh, here play that one line that sounds like that one jingle from this commercial. And like, that's how See, that's I have. Yeah. It. That's how I memorized. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what works. There. That's what works there. But if I sent like people be like, yeah, man, you got to chart for this song. I'm like, I do, but I don't. Cause it will make right. zero sense to you. Like, I just have my own way of, of doing that. But I, I'm not like a person who's like, Oh, you don't need theory to do this. I feel like I've benefited from not going to music school in some ways. And I feel like there's other ways where, it would have benefited me greatly. So I think really, you know, it depends on what you do with it. I I feel like I know a lot of people who have gone to school for music, but haven't done anything with it and people who haven't and have done a lot. So it's really, it has more to do with your drive than your knowledge, but I'm not, I'm never going to discredit, you know, going to school for music and learning the fundamentals of it all. Like I have every intention to do it at some point. I don't have much, reason to but i think once i have downtime and like i can afford to you know spend half of my days studying as opposed to just working and being a family man then that's when i'll do it but i'd love to do it at some point it just hasn't been a necessity so far
0: dude that is that is i mean i i've asked that question in a roundabout way to almost every person i've spoken with and um Nita Strauss had a similar answer to yours in that, like, I can do what I have to do, but that's what I, you know, you never had to go past it. And I, with the school here, we kind of develop programs specific to what people are looking to do. So if they want to go down that direction, I have another guitar teacher here who's a theory wizard and he'll wrap them in a knot before they know it. Whereas for me, similar to you, it's more real world application. You know, what do you need to make it work at the gig? And it's more about being, you know, obviously able to fulfill the needs of whatever is asked, but also just being cool, knowing how to hang and just make, you know, do the job.
1: That's so much of having a career in music. Like, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, there's places like MI out here and I think they can prepare you and definitely give you some valuable resources, but, the best pairing to a musical education is just real world education. Um, And I don't think enough schools prepare people for what it's like when you're actually working in the industry. The fact that you just said that shows me that you're one of the schools that does do that, but so many don't. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And I'm like, you know, your students are lucky to have you that you pay attention to things like that and not just what's in books.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. uh, That, thank you so much. That, from someone of your accolades, that's a huge compliment. So thank you, very much. I, I feel very strongly about that. Um, I, we have butted heads with some people along the way because of it, but I'm I'm fully. That's that's my mission. Sorry, things are popping up on my screen. Okay. So how, how do? What was the first? Because I'm 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 trying to save the big stuff. So how did? Okay, how do you differentiate? I was talking to a different session guitar player a couple of weeks back, a Nashville player, and he tours with um, a big act, but he does all the session work for a completely separate act. When they're choosing a musician for a gig, I guess a lot of people don't recognize sometimes it, the band you see on stage is not the band you hear on the record. Yeah. Uh, how do, the who chooses, you know, like how does. so the- um, For live stuff.
1: There's a music director, obviously, you know what that is. Um, Every artist, every big artist has a music director. They typically choose who plays with the artist live. The artist obviously has veto power and can pick someone, but for the most part, they don't want to deal with that. So, you know, Beyonce, I think, is the rare case that has a music director who's also her producer and her records. So that's how I'm able to kind of switch between both with her. But every band, you know, or every artist, sorry, let's say... Any artist, they have a producer who produces their record. The producer of that record is going to choose who plays on that record. Um, the producer will probably have absolutely nothing to do with her live world. Um, and the reason why I think there's a big separation between the two is because producers are producers, music directors are music directors. Um Producers have their people that they work with, that they work really well with, and there's already chemistry, there's already gel there. So I would try to imagine a producer working on a record is either going to call his main guys or someone that they refer who knows will be a good fit for that situation because they don't want to spend a day in the studio getting to know each other because that's just a waste of time. So they want someone who comes in who already is familiar with them, familiar with their workflow, who's able to get in and out and give them what they want because in the studio, literally time is money. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big separation between that. You know, with, with live and touring, the music director wants guys that they know can take direction really well, learn things really fast, retain information really fast. Like live and studio are two completely different skill sets. Um, In the studio, it's not so important to memorize something or to be super flashy because that doesn't make it on a record. Parts make it on a record. So like if you watch any artist, their live arrangements are going to be so different for the most part from their albums. And that's because live, they want this crazy in your face, all the bells and whistles, bands doing crazy runs and solos and stuff that you don't hear on the record. So a lot of times people who specialize in the live world aren't the same people that specialize in the studio world. So, you know, like a producer doesn't want to bring someone in a studio to work on a track when he's going to be overplaying or not going to have the greatest tone in the world. Um, That's another thing that, you know, like live, unless you're a musician, you go see a band like the general people who are in that audience they're not musicians so they're not going to be like oh that guitar kind of sounds like crap it doesn't sound as good as the one on the record does it like you're not, people aren't going to pay attention to that you know and i think on a record people will pay more attention to that because they're fully immersed in just the audio portion of a song because that's all they're listening to Great. live it's a whole different thing so i think that's the main reason why is because in a re- in a studio on a record the producer is basically at the helm of everything and basically the artist gives the approval and stuff like that so it's all a matter of who they want to work with. You know, like I'm lucky that I do both, but I work with producers who don't work in the live world. And I work with music directors that aren't in that world of studio stuff where they're like producing for huge artists because you either do one or the other. Most people don't do both. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Sorry if I was. It makes, anything.
0: No, that made complete sense. Thank you. That was one uh, that was first brought to my attention during one of these interviews. It made sense, but hearing it put like that completely clarifies some of the holes in my understanding of it. So with the Beyonce stuff, um, how does one get to be the guitar player who they call for Beyonce records? Cause that's epic. Um, Grammy award winning Beyonce records. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's the one thing that I tell everyone. It's like, it's all about your friendships you know, I, I'll give you, I haven't given anyone the story of how I got into that camp. Um, mostly because I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about because I'm on an NDA. Gotcha. But I think I can give like sort of just a very brief, non-detailed way of how that happened. Um, there was a studio that I've been working at for a long time. Uh, they needed an engineer. I recommended a good friend of mine. And he became the engineer at that studio. And then he ended up engineering Lemonade. and he ended up leaving the studio, working with them. He does all their, you know, studio stuff. He recorded, you know, the Homecoming performance that was on Netflix. He rec- he's basically their on-call, twenty-four hour engineer. Um, when her last tour finished, there was a show coming up that was initially supposed to just be a pre-record. They needed an acoustic player. Um, he recommended me because I think the person that he was wanting to get on it was out of town. And so he's like, hey, who should I get on acoustic? And so my friend, who's the engineer, who's been with him forever, he's just like, I got a guy you should call. So they called me for it. And I think I was like recommended as a like classically trained acoustic player, which just judging by our conversation a few <laughs> minutes ago, I'm not. So it was the kind of thing like where I was very stressed out in that moment because I didn't want to look dumb. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. But I just did my thing and I powered through it and they were happy with it. And then um, they ended up changing their mind and doing the show live instead of in the studio. So I, you know, rehearsed for a couple of weeks, we did the show and they were really happy with it. And you know, the, like I said, this is the rare, this is a rare case where the her musical director is also her producer. It's a guy named Derek Dixie. He's been with her for nine years. And the guy is one of the most musical genius people I've ever met in my life and I I love the man and um, you know we just got along really well we were friends like immediately like day one of being in the studio we were cracking jokes and having fun and the environment was just super fun and you know when we finished that show he was just like yo man I love your playing you're fun to hang out with we'll keep calling you and then you know he called me to work on some of his personal stuff like shortly after that and I was like I'm so down and like I you know we just established a great rapport. And then when the next record came about, he called me and he's like, hey, we, you know, would you be interested in working on this? And I didn't even know what it was for because they're very secretive. But um, I came in and tracked on some songs. And then you know, shortly after that, the record was out and I was on it. And now I've been kind of like his go-to guitarist for the past three years. And it's all just because I recommended a friend for something. He recommended me for that same thing that he ended up getting involved in and I became friends with the people there and we all got along and we all did our job and that that's it. You know, like there's no secret to success in the music industry. It's just do what you do well and be nice to everyone and don't be fake. Don't be opportunistic. Don't see opportunities in people, just make relationships and friendships and help people out and those people will help you out. And it's just, that's been my way of doing things. And, you know, I feel like i maybe got a late start in my career because I wasn't this crazy go-getter. Like, I'm not going to just be like, Hey, everyone look at me. Like I'm amazing. Get me on this gig. But all the relationships that I've built and all the success that I've had has been very organic. And because of that, it's very fulfilling to me. Like, I feel like I've earned what I have and worked for what I have. And, you know, I'm just, I'm happy with it.
0: Dude, I, I think you should be super happy with it. And I think that you know that's so gratifying and validating to hear cuz one of the um you know Beyonce TLC BB Rex it like it just goes on that these big players um one of the things that we try and teach we pre covid again we would have band programs we would put young musicians together in groups and kind of help them with interband dynamics and and booking gigs and things like that and as i mentioned earlier the number one thing we try and say is you know no one no one's here to have a bad time. So don't be an asshole. Like just yeah. be cool. And if you're not inherently cool inside, it's going to come out and people are going to figure it out. Yeah. And, and that's proof. The and,
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so true, man. And like, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have, a, I'm at a point now where even in COVID, like my workflow has been consistent and steady and I'm able to provide for my family, but man, like, you know, no one gets into music to not have a good time. Exactly. You know, so if you're in situations where you're not having a good time, it better be a lot of money because it's just (laughs) not, it's not worth it. You know, like we, we do this because we love it. It's not like we're working some office job or we're some CEO of some company that we know a lot of stress comes, but the payoff is worth it. It's like, I'm such a big like supporter of, Hey, only do things that are fun. And like make you happy because that shows in your music and the people who stick with these gigs that are not fun, they just become bitter and they they become people who are difficult to work with. And it's just not worth doing it. You know, like I'm at a point now where if I get called for a gig and I'm like, that doesn't sound like fun. Like, I'm just like, I'm I'm good. You know, like I don't want to not have a good time. Life is stressful enough. Why should exactly. why should you associate your passion with your stress? You know?
0: I love that. I that's our, that's our soundbite right there. Why should you associate your passion with your stress? Beautiful. Wow. How has COVID affected session work? Like, was there a period of time? Like, well, first of all, I usually ask the question, you know, what does people think about tube amps versus amp modeling technology? So maybe we can fold that into this question, but how has, you know, are you tracking sessions at your studio and flying them to the producer yeah.
1: Um, I do a lot. Um, actually now I think people are more comfortable with in-person sessions. I'm doing much more in-person stuff than remote, but, um, you know, when COVID first hit here in LA and everything locked down in March, just like pretty much everywhere else. Um, it was dead. I think I was the first time that I went maybe three, four weeks with like nothing. It was scary. And that's, you know, shortly after that, we found out we were expecting a baby. So it was like a stressful time.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And, um, but um, before the pandemic, I had really been putting a lot of energy into recording myself. Um, I do go direct, but I use tube amps. So I use the, I see it behind you right there, the UA Oxbox. Oh, yeah. I love, love that thing. Love I it. love that thing. That thing has absolutely changed my life for remote recording. Um, so, you know, since most of my stuff is electric, that's what I use to record. I'm literally like my laptop right now is on my coffee table in front of my couch. and This is where I do ninety percent of my remote work. Awesome. Um, if I'm doing acoustic stuff, I have a I have like a rehearsal lockout that I share with a drummer friend of mine and you know we built an ISO booth in there. So if I have to track acoustic, I have an ISO booth where I can get quiet recordings and clean recordings. Um, as far as digital stuff, um, I do have a camper. I use I was using that on tour with BB Rexa. We were doing the um the Jonas Brothers Happiness begins tour in 2019. I use the Kemper on that. Um, sounds great. My buddy, um, Michael Britt, makes some of the best profiles that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And um, I know the guys at Kemper really well. They're awesome. It's a great tool. Um, it's a great alternative for not using a real amp. Um, but now, even with BB, right now, we're doing a lot of like live stream. Not live stream, but just like pre-recordings for things to be streamed. I'm using the UA with it. I bring a combo. I bring my UA. They don't want stage volume, so I'm on ears. And it sounds great. So that's, that's like, if I can't use a, an amp on stage, I'm using the UA because it just sounds incredible to me.
0: Yeah, I, I was, I got this maybe two months ago. And uh, so at the school, we have a case out in the front with all my guitar pedals, and I let the students take them out and borrow them like library books. <laughs>
1: That's awesome.
0: Right. It's really yeah, do, you,
1: do you have like pedal cards instead of library cards? <laughs>
0: you know what? I <laughs> about that before. It's actually still the because uh, we're in New York, so we got creamed just like you know, California did in the beginning. Oh yeah, you course. guys got hit hard
1: first. Yeah. yeah.
0: The second COVID death in the state of New York occurred in the town where the school is before New wow. York City got crazy. So like so there's still still some students have pedals from a year ago. But anyway, um, you know, we're always this hot debate between the digital and the not digital I love my amps I have an axe effects here I had a kemper at home for a while but I sold it um but this UA thing changed everything because now yeah. I can use my amps and get everything I want and it's just a brilliant piece of technology
1: I love it man I use it every day like that's it's completely changed my life and like I was just going kind of just going spit if into my apollo and then I went into a studio recently with a good friend of mine named Mike Bennett he's an incredible drummer he was been Richie Kotzen's drummer for like ever and um he was having me go through some outboard gear and i'm like man like why does it sound so much better in your studio than it does in my home going through nothing and he's like you need to run it through some mic pre's and this and that so i'm using the ua 1073 mic pre now dude it's i've i've never been happier with tone that i'm recording with at home like it's you know and it's making it on like you know big stuff like a lot of tv stuff and tv shows and film scores like all that's being done at home on my rig so I'm stoked. That's
0: incredible. That's incredible. How does um how do you transition into outside of you know the 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 artist world into you know the the TV and, and that kind of those gigs? Is that just again who you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, you know, like the first producer I started working with where I was doing a lot of TV work and stuff is a guy named Jack Rayner. And he was the music supervisor, it still is for like X Factor, America's Got Talent. And so a lot of these producers who are working on music for TV shows or artists or stuff, they're the ones that are calling me for it. So I have like a handful of producers that I work with regularly. And they're the ones that like, okay, I'll just get a call. I won't even know what I'm working on. I'll walk into the studio. I'll be like, I'll set up. I'm like, cool, what are we working on today? They're like, oh, we're working on this spot. We're working on this film. We're working on that. So it's, I have a very small circle of people that I work with very consistently. So they're just, I just have great relationships with them. I know what they want. They know how I work. I know how they work. You know, that's incredible. I'm tracking stuff remotely for them. Like you know, like when technology now has gotten so much better. Like I use, I do a lot of remote sessions on Zoom, and I use something called Loopback. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, but sure. um, yeah. So I have my DAW feeding into Zoom with this as a talkback, and they're hearing me tracking and like, you know it's like, it's all connected. So they're hearing my DAW feed into their zoom feed along with what I'm playing with like the click tracks. So they're literally hearing everything I'm hearing as I'm tracking. And they're able to kind of be like, okay, yeah, I like that. I don't like that. So it's really, it's so close to being in the same room with someone. Um, it's just made things a lot easier. Um, I'm totally getting off topic, but, um, Oh, yeah. A, a lot of the, out. I love it. <laughs> yeah. a lot. Um, definitely just the producers that I work with are the ones that get me on there. Like when people tell me like, how do you, how'd you get into this? How'd you get into that? I'm like, I got a phone call and this is what I worked on. It's like, so I've gotten to a point now where all my work comes to me and then just, I'm really lucky that these cool opportunities pop up.
0: But dude, see, I think that's so inspiring to young musicians starting out. You know, another thing that we try and put out there to to the young musicians that we get to work with is just because you pick up your guitar and I wish the best of everyone I don't mean this as a negative but you might not become the next Eddie Van Halen or John Mayer but that doesn't mean for a second that you can't make a good living playing music and it's just being open to all these things maybe it's session work on the side and then you're going to back up an artist at some cafe on your acoustic guitar whatever it is like music can become this all-encompassing thing just get all your pots on the stove and whichever one boils that's the one you got to grab at but just to hear you know you're in a place where huge artists and huge gigs you're the one they call like that's that to me is a dream situation so really cool
1: yeah and I mean um the one advice I'd love to to give, you know, your students, which I'm sure you have touched something on this at some point as well as, man, do not let social media dictate your success and don't let it drive you. Like I, you know, like a lot of younger up and coming aspiring session musicians will hit me up on Instagram and they're like, yo man, how are you getting all these gigs? You don't even have like a crazy following. And I'm like, (laughs) break down the fundamental aspect of what you just asked me like you're asking me how i'm getting gigs without having followers like what do those two have to do with each other like nothing whatsoever there were gigs before social media there were all this stuff was happening before you know like if you you know it's it's it ties in with the law of attraction and it ties in with what you work you know whatever you put your energy into that will grow You know, if you put all of your energy into building a following on online, you're going to build a following online, but that's not going to get you work because that's not what you're putting your energy into, you know? So it sounds like super hippy dippy, but it's true, you know, and I've never put much, I've never put much energy into that, you know, like it's grown very slowly and steadily, but I'm not putting content out every day because that's not what i want to do you know like right. i don't want to be an instagram guitarist and if that's what someone aspires to then great and you'll meet that aspiration hopefully but my priority is to work and make a living and provide for my family and that's what i do
0: i love everything you just said i love that you said hippy dippy because when i go on off tangents like that that's exactly <laughs> what i said that exact phrase <laughs> um, you're totally right dude like Instagram followers having that doesn't pay the bills and and that's the reality of it being famous doesn't come with a paycheck working comes with a paycheck and a paycheck allots you the things you want in life some actually I have a, a video coming out about it on Friday um, I run across all the time students being very intimidated by what they see some of these Instagram guitarists doing and I try and tell them you know that person who's doing that thing that seems so incredibly impossible a, What's the market for that? Imagine hearing that in a song. You're not going to be maybe they're born with some talent that you and I don't have. You and him doesn't have whatever. C. maybe they're not even really playing what you think they're playing. Maybe they're miming to a pre-recorded thing that took them 10,000 hours to, to tape. Like you just don't know. It's a lot yeah. of smoke and mirrors. And I always say to, and that's the theme of this thing that I got putting out is you have to choose to be inspired, not intimidated. Don't, don't let it.
1: Yeah. Off you know, like, I'm I'm so, you know, like, I, I find so much of what people do online so impressive. And I'm like, man, that's unbelievable that you are able to do the things you do. And, you know, like, I'll even joke, I'll be like, yo, man, you make me want to put down my guitar, like, <laughs> there's no way I would ever definitely. be able to do that. But I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with not, I'm like, I am find it inspiring that I'm constantly around musicians who run circles around me, you know, but The one thing that I encourage everyone to do is find what makes you unique. Everyone has something unique to offer with their instruments, with their playing, with everything, you know, and find a way to be a chameleon with that, to be able to take what you can do and what you do well and apply that to anything that you work on, anything you're a part of, and do it in a way to enhance the music, not to show off, but just to add value. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've done this recently as well. Well, I'll get asked to work on tracks that I'm like, man, this song's amazing. I'd love to work on it. And I'm listening to it. And I'm just like, it doesn't need me. Like, there's nothing that I can add to this that I feel is enhancing the song or adding to it. I'm like, if I add something, it's just, it's just adding the sound of a guitar. It's not helping the song in any way. In fact, sometimes it can be taken away. And I think it's so important to be able to to do that, you know? Um, And I've done that very recently. I'm just like, hey, man, I tried. There's nothing I feel that I can add to this song. I love it so much. It doesn't need me. Um, And so that's what I think is so important as a musician to do in this world is to be selfless and to know when, like, to not just think about yourself, to really live in servitude to the music. And having that mentality will really get people who value that calling you for work
0: amen to that brother that was i couldn't have manufactured it in my mind any better that's (laughs) the name of the game thanks man all right let's do some gear stuff so when you get called to a bb rex gig or session what what do you bring with you like i
1: I bring the same thing everywhere i have a pedal board um one of my best friends his name is johnny gomez he uh just started his own company called cute rigs And you can find him on Instagram. And he built me like a custom pedal board and it's freaking beautiful. And I basically just had him build me a board with every pedal that I absolutely need for any situation. So that's my board. I don't have multiple boards. I don't have a B board. Um, I bring that everywhere. Um, I use Bogner amps. I'm really lucky that they made me my own kind of one-off signature amp a while back. That's just my sound and my tone and works well with everything I use. And I mean, I, it's funny, like I go into sessions and I, I kind of just use the same sound and the same drive pedals on everything that I work on. I just let my fingers sort of dictate how it sounds like so much, like, you know, you know, so much of your tone is in your fingers. Yeah. So I actually do very little tweaking and dialing and adjusting. Um, but I also think that at this point people are calling me for my sound. So I'm able to, I just bring the same thing everywhere and I have everything that I would need on my board. And I carry like a little mono tick bag with like extra pedals in case I want something that's not on my board. But um, yeah, I, I it's very, it looks complex, but it's not, it's pretty simple, but it's very versatile. So I'm able to kind of just with my board and I'll usually bring one of my Novos or I'll bring a PRS, like a, usually like a Humber guitar with, with a single coil, Splits on it as well if I want to get thinner sounds, and that with that I ha, kind of have like my Swiss Army sound with that.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, I saw in, in the picture we used for this that it's uh, a it, five ninety four, right?
1: Uh the white one. Yeah, that's a that's a DGT, the David Grosso. Oh, Grissom.
0: No, even sexier.
1: But um, yeah. So funny that I don't even own that guitar. Um, Win let me borrow it for some flyouts, and then I got asked to do um some promos for Bogner. While I had that guitar and they had their photographer there and he just took a picture of me with it. And I was like, man, I love this picture. I'm going to use it for everything, even though this isn't my guitar. And um, yeah, so I returned that one back. But right now I have a custom 22 from them and a Silver Sky. They're great. I love them.
0: I love the Silver Sky. I think they did something really special. You think, how do you make a Strat better than a Strat? It's something different, but it's fantastic.
1: You know, I'm not a strat guy. I'm not a single coil guy. I definitely need to have one. Like, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff with Bootsy Collins and a lot of times he's like, give me that Nile Rogers vibe. And I'm like, <laughs> I can try to s- split my coils and get close to that, but it's not the same thing as like that second position on a strat, you know? Yeah. So I was talking to Win, you know, Crozak? Do you know, when I have a yeah. story
0: to tell you in a second. Yeah.
1: So Wins a really good friend of mine. The, his office is literally five minutes from my house. So, oh, I go there all the time. PRS you know.
0: West Coast thing that I see yeah. the pictures of on his Instagram. Yeah. Wow.
1: So that's actually at a rehearsal studio called Center Staging, and that's where I do all the rehearsals with BB. So like I'm literally every time I'm in rehearsals with BB, I'm we're always hanging out at Win, Wynn, at Win spot in our breaks and stuff.
0: That's awesome. Dude, I I met Wynn at NAM in 2006, I think it was. And that's kind of when we started the relationship. And now I deal with uh, Bev mostly now. But when was talking to me on the phone thereafter right and we're trying to figure out what would be the best guitar for me, because I was coming from mostly playing Les Pauls, but I explained they were heavy. So he hooked me up with a um, custom 22. And when I was first starting to play guitar, when I was like 13 years old, I saw at a guitar center, a PRS that was way up high. You know how they put the really fancy ones where you can't touch them. Mm-hmm. It was this red color that faded to black, and they called it Scarlet Sunburst. Um, and you couldn't find them anymore. I guess they had stopped making the color. So when I'm talking to Win, he's like, "Oh, I have something that I think will be perfect for you. It's in the artist stock. Blah blah blah. Um, it's, it's kind of a weird color, but I think you'll like it." And I was like, "Well, don't tell me. I'll be surprised. Anything I'm grateful for. Thank you so much." It shows up. It's it's. I have it hanging over here. It's the scarlet sunburst. It's that exact guitar color that I'd fallen in love with. So for the rest of my life, I will be forever grateful to Win because somehow he like telepathically knew exactly what I wanted and like picked something <laughs> from my childhood memory. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's let's no, let's not go there yet. Let's stay on this on the topics now. So with the um, the BB Rex's stuff, the songs are written before you get on them. Is that how that works? Um, so I don't work in the
1: studio with BB. I just play with her live. Okay. Yeah, that's just a live situation. Um, I you know it's so weird. Like I, okay. So the one thing I always say is I'm not. I don't consider myself anyone's guitarist because I don't feel like any gig is mine. It's not a matter of like, oh, you don't own me. It's more like I don't own the gig. Um, with BB, um, I had filled in on some rehearsals and then the tour came up with the Jonas Brothers and it ended up getting extended. It was like a four-month tour. It was super long. Um, her guitarist that I was filling in for on the rehearsals didn't want to be gone for that long and I didn't want to be gone for that long. So we split it in half. So I did half the tour, he did half the tour and then he had like an emergency and I had to fill in on like the last two days. I got a call Friday and they're like, Hey, we need you to play the forum Saturday and Sunday. And I was like, okay. that's <laughs> like, you know, a bucket list gig for me to play there in in LA. So, um, I, showed up and did it. And then the tour finished and I wasn't really doing anything with her for a while. Cause she wasn't doing anything. And then once the pandemic hit um, her guitarist that had been her guitarist for like a long time uh, lives on the East coast. So I was getting called for stuff here in LA because I'm here in LA, you know? And I think recently she had a bit of a change with music directors and bands. So, I feel like I don't know if anything's ever clarified if I'm someone's guitarist. If I hear an artist be like, oh, this is my guitarist, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm her guitarist. But I always look at it like, I'm playing for you today. you know, Or like, I I always, like the wording I use is so specific. Like I've recently been working with this person. Um, You know, like with Beyonce, I'm not her touring guitarist. She typically tours with a female band. I would consider myself more of her studio guitarist but I will get called for certain live events that are like a certain nature. Like, you know, she'll do shows with like that are very stripped down acoustic string section choir. So shows like that I'll get called for. But like I always I don't know. It always feels weird for me to say, like, I'm this person's guitarist, you know. But um, but yeah, sorry to stray from your question. With BB, I just play with her live.
0: Got it. Got it. When um, you're doing a gig like that with her live or even in the Beyonce live acoustic setting is the music very strict as to what you have to do. Is there any room for improvisation, be it in the lead or is it the same time every night, same way every night?
1: Um, with BB, there was a lot of sort of, we can have a lot of fun with that one. She wanted that. She wanted, she wants her shows to always feel like a rock show. So I'll always add like, just kind of, gratuitous unnecessary licks and fills and stuff and And she'll just be like oh that's great yeah do that because she wants that live rock energy like she she says it all the time she's like i'm a rock star i'm not a pop star and i was like okay cool." cool um so that that vibe with her is a lot of fun um with beyonce live i don't think it's super strict Um, you know, the bass player that plays with us is a guy named Courtney Leonard. He's phenomenal. He'll always do these crazy runs that I'm just like, oh, dude, it's ridiculous. He's one of the best bass players I've, I've ever heard in my life. But I think when I'm playing with her, the parts that I'm playing are so subtle and gentle that it doesn't, it's not necessary to do anything other than what's there. Like, I feel like if I did it, it would distract from the song and it's just not needed or even necessary. So, I follow my intuition. Like I I really treat live settings like a record. Like I feel like I never just play stuff just to play stuff. Everything has intention and everything's like, I have that mentality of like, oh, does this song need this? And if it doesn't, then I just won't do it. Um, And I I feel like a lot of MDs appreciate that. And it also, to me, it's like whenever I do do something flashy, it means more because I'm not doing it all over the place. So you'll pay more attention to the very few select, parts where I do something really cool as opposed to like, if I were just doing it all, like all the time, it would get really old and really boring.
0: Cool. Cool. All right. I'm gonna ask one more question before our rapid fire section of the program. Um, there's a question here from the chat, actually from Sam. Sam is asking you this question. Hello, Sam. What up, Sam? Um, what was your worst experience playing? Did something ever go epically wrong? Worst experience playing.
1: Um, I don't think anything's gone horribly wrong. I'm kind of like a boy scout when it comes to live shows. Like I, you know, here's my anxiety kicking in, but I'm always like, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen and how do I do everything in my power to avoid it? Always come prepared, always have everything. Um, But definitely something that was out of my control. Um, Jumping in on the BB tour in 2019, the way that tour worked was I did the rehearsals with Everett, the guitar player. We were both playing the rehearsals together. So we'd kind of either play at the same time or we would do one run of the set with him and one run of the set with me just so that we both felt comfortable with it. And then shortly after that rehearsal, the tour started. So I think two months into the tour, I jumped in. And so I jumped in not really playing with them or having that chemistry. And I flew in day of the show no rehearsal no sound check and just jumped on stage in front of 20,000 people wow um normally that alone would be a little stressful but um somehow on the way there flying you know like when you get in the plane and your ears kind of get the cabin pressure thing mm-hmm. and then you know one ear will pop and one ear won't you know so when i got off the plane one of my ears didn't pop and i was like this is weird this never happens and i kept trying to get my ear to pop and i was almost completely deaf out of one of my ears and it didn't like, it didn't come back like for a long time. So I had to go on stage with my in-ears completely deaf out of one ear. And (laughs) that, that was probably my least favorite experience live. And then I think after about a week of that, it still didn't come back. So I ended up like we were in Detroit like a week later and you know, Detroit's not the greatest city in the world. So the tour manager's like, Hey man, don't go around town if you don't have to, you know? And I was like, no, I need to, I need to go to a doctor. So I went to like an urgent care and um, I was like, Hey, so I haven't been able to hear out of my ear for like a week and I'm on tour and I need something like now. Cause I'm going to another city tomorrow and I'm not sleeping well. Cause I'm in a bus and I can't hear out of an ear. And they're like, you have a really bad ear infection and there's like fluid buildup behind your eardrum. And I was like, I've never had that before. Like, what do I do? And they gave me some like medicine for, they gave me like antibiotics and some steroid shots or steroid, like just steroid pills. And so I took them and it was like feeling better. And I don't know why I just didn't finish taking the antibiotics. And so it came back. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I literally spent this whole tour practically being sick. And like right before we went to Rock and Rio, I went to another hospital in Kansas city and they're like, okay, here's the medicine. Do not stop taking it and don't drink while you're in Brazil. And I'm like, man, you're really just making this tour as least fun for me as possible. So eventually it went away, but that was my worst experience tour. Like just literally jumping onto a, sh- onto a tour, no rehearsal, no sound check. I just had to go on stage, hopefully remember everything. Cause I didn't spend a whole lot of time prepping for it. And with one ear, just play a show.
0: Dude, I've asked that question to many of people and I've heard things from, you know, the tubes, blow fuse strings. You take the cake by saying my ear stopped working. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's like, man, like you're
0: done. <laughs> I like never get sick or anything like
1: that. And like everyone on the on the on the tour that year, is like, what's with you, man? Like you've been sick this whole tour. I'm like, I never get sick. I just have the worst luck on this tour for some reason. But I've been fine, and I've never had an ear infection since. So,
0: Good, I'm happy. You know, we can laugh because it turned out okay. But that that's scary. I mean, as a musician, your ears that's that's pretty big. So, like,
1: what would you do if you went deaf? You know.
0: I, dude, I, I, every so often, like, I'll just, my brain wanders and I go to a weird place <laughs> and things like that. I'm like, what if, what if someone jumps me and breaks my, all my fingers? What if I go to, de- and I'm like, I don't know. No, it's just happiness. Yeah. Anyway, let's not smart. go there. Right. There's, enough, all there's right. enough, There's enough stress in the world. Right. Exactly. All right. Rod Castro, here we go. Our series of rapid fire questions. I will ask you two different things a simple this or that. See my game show voice, game show host voice. Um, all you have to do is say one or the other. You don't have to justify your answer. Um, all music-related, nothing heavy or political or weird. All righty.
1: <laughs> all
0: right. Here we go. Humbucker or single coil. Humbucker all day. All righty. Um, I have to preface this by saying style. So Les Paul style guitar or Strat style guitar. Les Paul. If you were to pick a Fender type guitar, it would be a Strat or a Tele. Tele. Les Paul or SG. Les Paul. If you were to play bass, P-bass or jazz bass? Jazz bass. Oh, you're doing fast. I like this. Um, acoustic, Martin or Taylor?
1: Uh, I pick Martin over Taylor.
0: Okay, I agree. Um, this one's kind of a silly question because they're so different, but for amplification, a Marshall or a Fender? Marshall. Actually, no, Fender, Fender, Fender. Okay. Because I'm thinking I'm thinking of like amp gain.
1: So I'm like, if it was going amp gain, Marshall, if I'm using my pedals, Fender.
0: Right, that's why there's, they're kind of hard to, but that's the way I thought of it when I was constructing the question as a pedal platform versus just straight uh, tube overdrive. All right, some effect pedal related questions, delay or overdrive? If
1: I have to pick between the two?
0: Do I, am terrible enough. Overdrive. Okay. Um, oh no, I blew it. I got that wrong. I was supposed to be delay or reverb. That makes more sense.
1: Oh, um... Reverb—it's definitely more applicable.
0: I merged two questions together. Sorry. Uh, so now the overdrive question: fuzz or overdrives? Like a fuzz. Overdrive. Okay. I'm not a fuzz guy. Yeah, dude, it's a hard thing to wrangle. It is. I got that. Um, the new this one here. Oh no, I'm caught. This. Oh, who makes that? This. So Zevex did a collaboration with uh, Chase Bliss Audio for that new oh, nice. movie, and it's called the Bliss Factory. So it's like. A whole bunch of knobs and buttons. I can't figure it out. <laughs> I have
1: a bunch of fuzz pedals, and a lot of them sound the same to me, and I like them. I would, I don't use them enough to keep it on my board, but that's one of the pedals that I always keep on me. I have the Bogner um, Oxford that was made with Rupert Neve, and, and I love that Ooh. one.
0: Okay, yeah, that one wins. <laughs> um, all right, phaser or chorus?
1: I'm really not a chorus guy, so I'd have to say phaser.
0: That's the right answer. I, that's that's the one that I stand for. <laughs> I thought
1: you said there was no wrong answer That's the one I know
0: Gotta make it a little crazy
1: Unless I'm doing like Andy Summers or Prince I will never use a chorus
0: And that is the one reason why it would be okay Um, Or if I'm doing like Zach Wilde era Ozzy And I need big crazy squealies And then the chorus stays on the whole time Um, Beatles or Stones? Beatles all day Cool all right, here's a heavy one. John or Paul? Ooh, um
1: I think I would go John if yeah. I had to pick, but that's yeah. a tough one.
0: It is tough, I know. Um Zeppelin or Floyd? Floyd. Okay, then we're gonna go heavy again. Dark side or the wall? Um the wall. Okay. I agree. I'm a wall guy too. Most people say dark side. I think the wall. Has- I love them both. But if I had to, if I, I had to think of like, okay, what are all the songs that I
1: could not live without on the wall? And then compare that to dark side, I'd probably have more on the wall.
0: I totally agree. When I say the wall, people are like, Oh, you don't like dark side. I'm like, no, no, no. When the chorus comes in and us and them, I weep openly. Don't misunderstand me. But <laughs> The wall has something different for me. All right. And then Although the- if you ask
1: me what my favorite record is from them, it's uh, animals.
0: That's a great answer, dude. I So I do another live stream at nine o'clock Eastern time on YouTube with a friend of mine in Chicago and a friend in Arizona called Record Talk. And we just talk about records. just nerd out over music. And our episode about animals was one of our, you know, most viewed episodes because so many people, like that's a sleeper one. Everyone secretly likes animals and they don't. Well,
1: the great thing about that record is you cannot skip songs on it. Right. Like it's just, it, the music doesn't allow you to do that. If you do that, you're- you feel like you're walking in in the middle of a conversation and you can't join it. You know, it's like, it has to be played front to back.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. Okay. My very last question, uh, since we're both from the eighties, but nineties, uh, music people Pearl jam or Nirvana Pearl jam. Oh yeah. Sorry. We're friends. We're good. We're good. (laughs) See, okay.
1: I gotta say, I was never a big Nirvana fan in the time of Nirvana and I didn't really start appreciating their musicality until maybe five or six years ago. Dude. I
0: go. I I was going
1: to say, I think I, you know, like I'm the kind of person that if there's too much hype about something, I'm like, I don't, there's there's like, I feel like I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to enjoy it because everyone around me is enjoying it for me and like pushing it on me kind of thing. So I think now I can go back and listen to their records and really like appreciate it. But, um, yeah, at the time, not the biggest fan, and I feel like Pearl Jam had just way more of an impact on me musically than Nirvana did. I think Nirvana was too was too angry for me at the time that they came out, and Pearl Jam was more introspective and like yep. deep, you know.
0: Dude, Pearl Jam is my favorite band. I've seen them. I've like literally rerouted family vacations to catch a Pearl Jam show. So.
1: <laughs> I actually never saw Pearl Jam live until maybe six years ago.
0: Life changing, right?
1: It was great. It was yeah. so good. They ended with Bob O'Reilly, and it was incredible. So cool.
0: So cool. Also, Sam,
1: Sam just asked it, coffee or tea? Yeah. Coffee. I do. I'm an oat milk latte guy.
0: Nice. Nice. I only read because we're vegan. So I only recently got into the oat milk and some places have like really crappy oat milk. There's a, a like little bespoke coffee shop here in town and they make their own oat milk and it's ridiculously awesome.
1: See, I, I have an espresso machine and I buy the oat milk that my favorite cafe was using. So I just literally make it at home every day.
0: Well, that is brilliant. That is, that is probably the smarter way to handle it versus me walking up the street for a $7 coffee. But sometimes we do things, dude, this has been awesome. So cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for having, for having me man. and your stories and, and just all of it. You know, um, I look forward to hearing more cool stuff on clubhouse and uh, just staying in touch, man. But thank you so much. Um, stay safe out there. For sure.
1: Can I, can I tell you one more story? And I just love telling this story. Dude,
0: You could do week. I'll talk. I have nowhere to go till eight o'clock. I'll talk as long as you like. And so
1: the only reason why I want to tell this is because I want to encourage people to do what I did. Um, yes, I do love matcha tea, but I like the powdered matcha tea. Like when it feels like creamy and foamy. Yes. Um, okay. So I was on tour doing the BB tour with the Jonas brothers. We took a break from that tour to go play rock and Rio in Brazil. Um, I will preface this story with saying that one of my biggest influences in guitar playing has been funk you know um james brown p funk that kind of stuff
0: yeah
1: um we were at the gate i don't know if i told you the story on clubhouse before so i'm sorry if you have to hear it again um,
0: even if i've heard it before i will listen
1: (laughs) but um so we're at the gate and the drummer a guy named trey um says oh look bootsy collins is walking by and i thought he was joking and I turn around and Bootsy Collins is walking by us. And I was just like, oh my God. Like it was one of those few moments where I was like starstruck, you know? And he walks into the same gate we're at. So he's on the same flight as us. Wow. And so he checks in and everything. And I just see him and he's like, you know, with his, he's with his wife and his manager. And I'm just like, I gotta go say something to him. Um, so I walk up to him and I'd worked on a track a studio like maybe 10 12 years ago that he played bass on and i'm sure he has no recollection of doing that doesn't remember the song doesn't remember anything but i used that as sort of like an icebreaker to talk to him and i was like hey bootsy i just want to say i'm a huge fan of yours i worked on a track that you know you worked on like 10 years ago at Skip sailor studios it was one of my first sessions and it like to me it was like the coolest thing ever to be playing along to your parts on a track you know and he was the nicest coolest dude ever he was just like oh man that's so awesome he like shakes my hand he like asks me what i do who i play with and i told him and so we chatted for a bit it was really nice we get on the plane we get off the plane and i asked him if i can take a picture with him so he's more than happy to we chat for a bit more and he's like where are you playing and i'm like oh i'm playing rock and rio and he's like oh me too we were playing the same night on two different stages and he likes pulls me aside and he's like, Yo, man, do you play lead guitar? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, I have a track that I need lead guitar on and Buckethead's playing on it. And he's doing the rhythm on it, but he didn't play lead on it. And I need lead on it and I need to send it for mixing like in the next two days. He's like, Do you have a way to record while we're here in Brazil? And I was like, Yeah. So I get to my hotel and I have an email from him with a track on it. And it's his it this was like I think beginning of October and the song was coming out for Halloween and it was a, a Bootsy and Buckethead version of monster mash and the song's out. You can listen to it. And you know, he sends me an email and he's like, y'all right. Give me a pass. That sounds like Jimmy, give me a pass. That sounds like a rock solo. Give me a pass. That sounds like crazy metal and give me one pass. That's just you like your thing on it. And I was like, cool. So I'm listening to it and I'm like, this is crazy. I'm literally met him on a plane. I'm in my hotel room tracking on a song for him like two hours later. And man, I was losing my mind trying to like channel Jimmy on one thing, channel this on one thing. And I'm like, is he gonna like this? Is he gonna like this? And I spent like an hour just deleting takes after takes after takes. Cause I was like, this isn't good enough. This isn't what he wants. Um, So eventually I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna do what I think sounds right. I'll send that to him and I'll be like hey this this is what I'm thinking works let me know if this is the vibe you're looking for just so we can give me some kind of direction you know so I track on it I send it to him and he's like yo man you killed it that's going on the record and so the first thing I sent him he loved it and I was like holy crap you know and he's like he sends he's like send me the wave files you know set, like here's my manager like you can guys can like you know workout payment arrangements and everything this is going on the record I love your style I love talking to you I want to keep working with you in the future I got something coming up that I'd love for you to be a part of and I was just like are you kidding me you know like I remember being young and like listening to these like James Brown records and P-Funk records that he produced and I'm like to me, that's what made me not want to focus on lead guitar because these rhythm parts, the fact that these people can play the same thing over and over and it never sounds boring and it right. always has this intensity and pocket to it. That's what I geared towards as a musician, you know? And sure enough, I did that track and like a couple months later, he's like, yo, I'm producing this song. I want you to play guitar on it. Cool. A couple months later, he's like, yo, I'm making a record. I want you to write some songs for me. So I co-wrote his some songs on his last record. He featured me as an artist on them, even though I just played solos on them. So if you look at this record called The Power of the One, track three is called Slide Easy. And one of the last ones is called Stolen Dreams. Like my name is featured on the track just because I played some solos on it and wrote them with him. And it was like, had I not gotten like, okay, another crazy thing about this story. On our flight was Seal and the guys from Foo Fighters. (laughs) And um, we were all playing it. Um, Rock and Rio the same like two days from each other and you know he pulled me aside at one point it was either him or his manager he's like you know man you saw who else was on that plane right and I'm like yeah of course it was a crazy flight and he's like we ended up you know meeting up with the Foo Fighter guys and SEAL afterwards and like all of them were just like yo man we saw you on the plane and we like wanted to say something but we were just starstruck man we couldn't couldn't work up the nerve to come and talk to you like Bootsy is a freaking legend for anyone who doesn't know who he is you know and he's like you're the only one who came up to me and just said, what's up? And started chatting with me. And I just like your vibe, man. And so like, I, you know, that's why I want to keep working with you. And it was like, I had no expectation of anything coming up to him and talking to him. I just wanted to be like, I am such a fan. You have like impacted my life and my career more than, you know, and I just want to say thank you. And that turned into like me now being the dude he calls for everything guitar wise.
0: Dude, have chills that's insane wow. it was like
1: one of those i remember calling my fiance and i'm just like how did this just happen you know and she's like he probably senses people's energies and he knows that you're just a good dude and that he like you liked your vibe and he wanted to work with you and like he's on clubhouse now and i jumped in on a room that he was in and i told that story and he like messaged me right after he's like yo man you really got me with that story i never knew that that's where you were coming from oh, when okay. you just came up and said hi and i was just like I meant every word of it, man. And it's just like, that's like, to me, the kind of stuff that happens in movies, you know? Like, that's not real life. And it was all just because I just wanted to say hi and show my appreciation and show my respect. And I had no intentions other than just to show him how much I appreciated him, you know? And like so many gigs and everything that I get, I feel like I retain these relationships just because I come from a very genuine place where I'm just legitimately happy to be where I am and do what I'm doing, which ties in with don't do gigs that suck. Cause they're going to make you a jerk. <laughs> 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 so we circled back to that, like don't do anything that isn't fun because music should only be fun.
0: But dude, I mean how many times have all of us been in a position where we, you know, what's out because we're just, oh I don't want to, you know, just put myself in an uncomfortable position. Because it was uncomfortable to approach him. It could have gone a million different ways, but your genuineness yeah, totally. and your sincerity, it it got you the gig in essence. And that's just that's a beautiful story. You know, that's it's crazy. It doesn't even surprising. it doesn't even seem real every time I say it, you know. Wow. And he's an intimidating guy. I, I met him at Nam, him and Buckethead were walking around one year, and I'm like <laughs> And I'm old, and I'm like, oh dude. Yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: but if you ever like, you know, just rap with him for a bit, he is the kindest, warmest human being ever. And it's like crazy that you know I'm where I am now with him just because of that situation, you know. I
0: can't wait to check out the song. I'm excited now. <laughs> dude, no, thank you so much for giving that little extra story in there. That was uh See, that's why I love doing this stuff, man, honestly, because there's so many people out there who are doing the things that anyone who picks up a guitar or sings in a microphone could only dream of. And to hear people like yourself, to make yourself available and tell stories like that, I think to the up and coming generations, that shows them, you know, it's setting a path that can be followed if you do it the right way. And shows that you know it can work, and just be just just be cool, just be just a be good cool. person, just be cool.
1: But be naturally cool. Don't try too hard yeah, don't fake it. No, that's
0: <laughs> I, I. think faking being cool is even worse than not actually being it, cool. It is. It's a because,
1: dude, like you, your your intuition, everything can sense all of that, man. Right,
0: right. It's like the opposite of cocky, but equally as bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, dude. Wow. Well, I don't know what else to say anymore. That- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Dude, I, I seriously like I, on my arm, I, you can't see it. it chills, totally. totally. Thank <laughs> so much for sharing that. Stay safe. Um, I hope one day when the world is safe, I'll be out on your side of the world, and maybe we'll meet up and grab a drink.
1: Definitely, and- man. I'm sure I'll be in New York at some point. We'll have to take some time out and get a get a coffee or something.
0: I would love that, dude. Awesome. We'll get a matcha. Yes, yes, matcha. Yes. Oh, yeah. for Sam. Yeah. Alright Stay then. safe. I'll see you. Take soon. care, bro. Later.